the reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 4. I'd encourage you to grab your Bible if there's one near you. In the Pew Bibles, it is page 1917. After this, I looked to heaven, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name's Jack, and great to be diving in again. Uh, to Revelation, a bit of a change in scenery, uh, isn't it, from, uh, from the last kind of uh, chunk we've been in, looking at those letters together. Uh, but as, as we get, you know, started on Revelation 4 and kind of start digging in here, I have a question for you. Uh, and that question is, can you, can you remember the last uh, concert or, or big event, maybe a musical or, or a footy game that you went to um, for a concert or another big event, you might have to cast your minds back, you know, a few years ago before COVID as well. But, but can you remember one of those big events that you've that you've gone to? What, what about the, the standout kind of concert or event or musical that the big one that you've been to before? Uh, for me, one of the standout concerts was seeing someone called Ben Harper playing. He played with his band called the Innocent Criminals. So, any any other fans in the in the room? Great, great, excellent, right? Uh, I saw him play about five or six years ago at the Entertainment Centre. And I remember arriving and, and walking in, uh, and, and there, was, there was a band playing as the warm-up act. They, they were pretty good. You know, people were kind of milling about, enjoying listening to this music. But there was this anticipation. I don't know if you can remember feeling that when you've been uh, to a concert or, or a big event, that kind of feeling of anticipation and excitement. 
Everyone knew that Ben Harper was going to come out with his band soon, and we were all really excited. The other warm-up act, they finished up, and, and the crowd kind of started to get a bit restless, like we were waiting. Uh, but by this time, you know, the whole room was just packed. Now, people were starting to, to press toward the stage to get a better view. And as more people came in, we were kind of squeezed together as we gathered around the centre of the room where the stage was, and where we knew Ben Harper was going to appear. And then the lights went low. And you know, like when the lights go low, right? Something's, something's about to happen. The crowd went really quiet, very expectant. And then onto the stage walked Ben Harper, uh, and it just went nuts. One of the loudest noises I think I've ever heard, uh, as people just started cheering and yelling and then calling out his name uh, before his first song started. And I wonder what people outside of the entertainment centre thought was going on, if they knew what they were missing out on. It was such an incredible thing to be part of. I'd, I'd already been excited about being there, but I was even more caught up in the excitement of the people around me as we cheered, as we listened to songs and music, as we sang along, as we cheered some more, and all with the echo of just thousands of voices joining in. Have you ever been swept up in something like that? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, over the next two weeks, we're looking at Revelation 4 and 5, and it is a new setting for us as John is given a vision of the throne room of none other than God himself. Uh, we read of these strange-looking creatures, we read of these mysterious elders and of angels standing with God's throne at their centre, and they're all praising him. In chapter 5, verse 11, we read uh, that there are angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon 10,000. It's like 100 million angels, meaning that there's just too many to count. They go as far as the eye can see, and they're all gathered around God's throne, with God right at the centre, praising Him. And can you imagine hearing that noise? Can you imagine being part of that? I mean, who cares about a Ben Harper concert or a footy game or anything else? I mean, that sounds, that place, being swept up in who God is. That is what's on view in chapter 4 and 5 over the next couple of weeks. And God is well in view in chapter 4 today. The one who sits at the center of the entire universe, at the center of everything, he is right where he belongs, on his throne, at the center of all things, and he is worthy, worthy to be there, worthy of glory and honor and power. And our question for today is, have you been swept up in who God is? Are you standing outside of the doors to the entertainment center, wondering what's going on inside, or are you in there, waiting in anticipation to be with the one who is at the center of it all, the one who calls you to life in his son's name, the one who is worthy to be the center of your life? If you've got an outline in front of you, you'll see point one says the throne room. We'll be spending a big chunk of time in point one, then moving through point two and three a bit more quickly. But remember way, way back to our first week looking at Revelation, which was, was a while ago now, uh, we spoke about the really rich imagery and symbolism in Revelation that is drawn out. Uh, we spoke about how we can't read literally everything that we come across in this book. Uh, for example, when John looks at God on his throne and says he has the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, uh, is John saying that God is made of, of Jasper and Ruby? Uh, well, obviously not. He's, he's saying something else. You know, symbolism brings that out. So we need to be mindful of this symbolism and this rich imagery that we're reading about. 
And we also need to look to the bigger picture of what that symbolism is pointing towards to help us understand it and what is going on. See, in chapter 4, uh, after Jesus has revealed to John what to say to the churches in chapter 2 and 3, Jesus takes John into the throne room of God in a vision. It's the next scene for John. That's what we read in verse 1. He's heard Jesus' words to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, now he sees through the door to heaven itself and what is taking place there. We've got our door here, but you know, today we're not actually going to open it up and see what's behind there. We're just going to use our imaginations. I don't think we'd be able to do it justice. <laughs> See, John is taken, verse 2, into the throne room of heaven where he sees the creator of all sitting on his throne. So we read in verse 2, it should be on the screen. John says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. John is not giving us a literal image of God. He's not saying God is made of jasper and ruby. Rather, he's using that symbolism and imagery to help capture and communicate and help us feel and understand something. If you've seen any sort of treasure hunting movie, you know there is a moment, isn't there, when those seeking out this greatest treasure of their lives, they suddenly stumble upon it after looking for it for so long they'd almost kind of given up hope. And this happens in the movie The Mummy, has anyone seen The Mummy? Yeah, like a few nods. All right, if you haven't, homework for the week. That's all right. He's, uh, Brendan Fraser's character is called Rick O'Connell. Right. And he's, uh, he walks into this, this dark room at one point in the movie. I don't think I'm really giving anything away. Treasure hunting movie. He's going to find the treasure. Uh, but he sees some light reflecting off of a mirror in that room. And it's also an adventure movie. So the next thing he does, he pulls out a pistol and he shoots the mirror. Uh, shoots the hinge of that mirror, and it just kind of spins and spins and spins, and then it settles and catches the sunlight, and then the sunlight bounces off that mirror and hits another mirror, and then it hits another mirror and another mirror, and then suddenly the whole room is just lit up, and before them, in the light, in that room, stands more treasure than they could ever comprehend, and the light catches the treasure, the light dances across it beautifully. And the three men who've just entered the room, they, they stand there dumbstruck at the beauty and wealth of what lies before them, eyes just open and staring in shock and awe. And what happens next, do you think? They turn around and walk out of the room, like, oh, there it is, we found it. And they, they don't do that. They want to be closer to it. They're filled with awe at its majesty. They move toward it. They want it. And I think this is the kind of idea that John is getting across to us of a God who grabs your attention like a beautiful and precious stones of a great treasure. He's the first thing that John notices. The light around his throne shining like the lights bouncing off a beautiful emerald, treasure that is beautiful to behold, a treasure that you want to be close to, that you want to hold and look at and enjoy. And the rainbow itself that we read of, or it could be calling us back to the promises that God made to Noah after the flood in Genesis. A God who even now, sitting enthroned, continues to keep his promises. The rainbow, the sign that this is so. See, John sees a God who is desirable. The one at the center of all things, the whole universe, who is beautiful to behold and who you want to be close to. But we read more, don't we? Where God sits in verse 5. We'll come back to verse 4 in a moment. But we read, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals 
of thunder. Now, I remember being in a church service uh, way back in the day at Trinity Church Adelaide when I was part of their 7 p.m. service. And there'd been thunderstorms rolling in during the evening. There'd been rain during the service. Uh, and you could, you could hear this kind of distant thunder rumbling. And occasionally the windows would light up as lightning flashed through the sky above. But at one point during the service, out of nowhere, uh, thunder and lightning just struck really suddenly. A lightning bolt struck a tree in the car park. It just went up in flames. And thunder, like I'd never felt before in my life, it shook the building we were in. It rattled the windows. People were so startled that some of them even screamed out loud. And the service just came to a complete standstill. It was powerful and it was terrifying. Such is the God who sits at the centre of the universe. He is as terrifying and as powerful as he is beautiful and desirable. But we read on, don't we? In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Now, remember that uh, numbers are really symbolic in Revelation. And the number seven represents completeness, represents perfection. In the footnote of your Bibles, you'll notice that another translation of this verse says that it's the sevenfold spirit of God. See, what's going on here is that we're being pointed to the holiness to the perfection, to the completeness of the presence of God, that he is set apart in his perfection. And verse 6, I think, further unpacks this. We read also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And this imagery could be bringing several ideas to bear. Uh, Firstly, the sea of glass like crystal could be a reference to God's calming of chaos, of evil. See, in ancient Hebrew thought, the sea represented chaos and evil, and only God can calm that. Or it could be referencing the sea that God parted to allow the Israelites to flee from slavery to the Egyptians in the book of Exodus. Or it could also just represent priceless beauty before God. I think it likely that it's actually drawing on multiple ideas together here. But when we look at it with the rest of verse 5 and 6, what it represents and shows us is that no one can just casually walk up to and approach God. You don't mosey up into the presence of God. There is a gulf that exists before the throne of God, a sea of glass like crystal. See, He is beautiful and desirable, powerful and terrifying. And in His perfection and holiness, well, He is set apart from us. And yet we read, don't we, of these elders and these creatures that are gathered around God's throne in his presence with him in heaven. Now imagine layers of heavenly beings standing around, all centered around one spot, around God's throne. The outer layer we read in verse 4 are elders dressed in white and with crowns. We read, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Uh, Who are these elders, though? What what do they symbolize? Well, again, it could be be a number of things. It's understood by some that the number 24 is symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel combined with the 12 apostles, 12 disciples of Jesus. So these 24 elders are then thought to be those apostles, those human apostles, and those heads of the tribes of Israel, now in heaven, 
representing the whole church throughout the entirety of history, now reigning in heaven, gathered around God, praising his name. By others, it's understood, though, that these elders are actually angels or angelic beings. And they say this because when we actually read what the elders say in chapter 5, they don't include themselves as part of the redeemed people who've been made into a kingdom of priests. So they can't be human. So we read in chapter 5, it should be on the screen behind me, they say, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. I mean, if they were human, they would have included themselves in that, right? So what's going on with these elders, these rulers with crowns on their heads, with those white robes? Well, I think these elders are meant to act as representatives. They're meant to act as those representatives of God's church. But it's just as the letters were all addressed to the angels or messengers of the churches as their representatives, I think what we're seeing here are representatives of God's church throughout history. See, they sit enthroned in heaven with crowns on their heads as they reign, clothed in white robes, pure and in the presence of a holy God, given access to the God who is beautiful and desirable, powerful and terrifying, and set apart in his perfection and holiness. They are able to be close to him. But it's actually how they act later, isn't it? And the focus of their actions that really captures our attention. Because it's like nothing in the whole universe could turn their attention away from where it's focused, on the God who is at the centre of it all. And they, they bow before him. They take off their crowns and they praise him who is worthy. But they're not the only ones there, are they? The inner ring encircling the throne, it's made up of those four living creatures. And this is where it gets really weird, if it wasn't already kind of weird enough. But in the center, we read, around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox... The third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. It kind of sounds a bit like a science experiment gone horribly wrong. That's pretty weird. But what's going on here? Another book of the Bible in the Old Testament in Ezekiel kind of helps unpack a little bit who the creatures are. See, in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, we read of really similar creatures. And in Ezekiel chapter 10, it becomes clear that these creatures are angelic beings called cherubim. It's the Genesis 3 kind of cherubim, when God removes Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden because of their rebellion against him and removes access to the Tree of Life. When this happens, God places cherubim to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Or in Exodus 26, we read of cherubim in the tabernacle or the temple, hovering over the mercy seat. And they symbolize guarding God's very presence. They have eyes all around them, seeing and perceiving God's creation, searching, watching and guarding. But it's what they represent that draws our attention here. The the description of them being uh, like a lion, like an ox, having faces like uh, humans, being like an eagle. Now, it's not not 100% certain what's going on here. But I think that like the elders represent the church throughout history, being with and bowing down to God, 
The creatures represent something too. I mean, the lion is said to be the king of beasts in Proverbs 30. Now, the ox was the most powerful domesticated animal in ancient Hebrew times. Uh, human beings uh, in Genesis are, are the peak of God's creation, and eagles, the most majestic birds. You know, the, the creatures that represent the peak of God's creation are in his throne room. And why? Well, as uh, one of the authors of a commentary I've been reading, called Greg Beale, as he says, well, they're signifying the calling of all creatures everywhere to come before God in praise because he alone is worthy of praise. See, in this picture that is unfolding, we see these elders representing the church. We see these strange creatures representing all creatures under God's creation. And they are standing around the one who is at the center of everything. And why? Why do those wearing gold crowns who reign, who have those pure white robes, Why do those creatures that signify the mighty of God's creation stand around the one who is at the center of it all? It's because that is where he belongs. Because he alone is worthy of their undivided attention and their praise. And nothing is going to steal their focus from being on him. Because point two, he is worthy. Day and night, we read in the second part of verse eight, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. See, God is where he is meant to be. At the center of it all, the focus point, the creator and the one who sustains all of life, and he is worthy to be there. See, John sets before us this picture of both beauty and awe and terrifying power and might of a God who is completely unmatched. And for the churches who this letter was written to, especially chapters 2 and 3, well, their attention for so long has been on the events unfolding around them, hasn't it? On the hardships, on the temptations, on the push and pull of the cultural current that swirls around them. And Jesus has been lifting their eyes again and again to see who he is. He has encouraged them, he has challenged them to remain faithful to him. And in all their hardship, and all the distractions of what's happening around them. Well, now in chapter 4, their eyes are lifted to the one who is at the center of the whole entire universe, the creator of all, that they, along with all the heavenly beings, may behold their God and be swept up in who he is. That the distractions of the world that tug at their hearts and that their worship might fade away, as all of these things are held up next to God and are shown to be unworthy. Their eyes are being lifted to the God who created them, who loves them, and who wants them there with him. And so for us here today, where we're presented again with that question, have you been swept up in who God is? Point three, priority check. 
So Revelation 4 helps give us a perspectives, a perspective on the things in this life that we hold to, on the things that might be at the centre of our lives that shouldn't be there. It asks the question, what does your life revolve around? It helps us weigh up the things of this world next to the God who sits at the centre of it all and it asks, who is worthy to be at the centre of my life? Revelation 4 shouts out, only God is. So let me ask you, when you hold up something like your career, when you hold that up next to the God of the universe who is being pictured in Revelation 4, how do you feel? The church last week in Laodicea, they had wealth and they thought they didn't need anything else because of it. For them, their lives revolved around this money, working for it, enjoying their wealth. They said, we don't need a thing. We've got this wealth. But Jesus showed them and us how lacking wealth is, didn't he, last week? See, when we hold up something like the wealth of the world or career or anything next to the God of the universe, it's basically like trying to compare a toy Ferrari to the real deal. It's ridiculous. See, Revelation 4 helps us see God for who he is as the one who belongs at the centre of our lives, because he alone is worthy to be there. Not something God created, that includes ourselves, because nothing else comes close to matching the beauty or the power and might or the perfection of the God of the universe. It's a cheap trade to think anything else should fill that spot in our lives. So this week, read through Revelation 4 slowly and use your imagination. Close your eyes and picture being in that room, you know, through this door, with John. Consider if there is anything you're trying to put on that throne. Whether it is wealth or career or a relationship or house or family, all great things. Well, none of them are the things that belong on that throne. None of them are worthy of being praised as God being praised as holy, as God is holy, as everlasting, as only God is everlasting, as mighty and powerful, as the God who created all things is mighty and powerful. See, those things, they take a back seat compared to God. Will you be in the entertainment centre, swept up in the joy and praise of multitudes of a God who is infinitely greater and more desirable and powerful and perfect than anything in this world and who wants you there with him, or will you be locked outside? Now, maybe you're not really not that convinced that God is the one who belongs at the centre of your life. I just encourage you to keep looking at who He is and to keep looking at who He is in the Bible because that's where He reveals Himself to us. That's what we're reading today. That's where we see the enormity of who He is. It's by reading the very words He's given us to help us know Him. And maybe you haven't had much opportunity to do that before. I'd really love to talk to you about how you can get to know God. Someone here, myself included, would love to read the Bible with you and help you see God for who He is. To help you see that He does belong at the centre of your life. As He belongs on the throne at the centre of the whole universe. Now, this morning we've looked at a God who is beautiful and perfect, but powerful and terrifying, at a God who is unapproachable. And who could hope to stand before this God? No one can. It would be like straying into that thunderstorm. 
But next week in Revelation 5, we read that God, the one who was at the center of the universe, he looks at you and I and he desires us. He wants you to be with him. He's made it possible for you and I to be with him. And it's not because we're special. It's because when we chose to center our lives around things that are not God, God didn't choose to leave us to the fate we deserve of being shut out from him forever, left with nothing but judgment for how we've treated him. He did not choose that. Instead, he chose to make a way for us to come back in to join alongside the multitudes of those who have turned to Jesus in repentance and faith as the only one who can bring us back to God. To join that multitude who now await eternity with our God, with the only one who is worthy to be at the centre of our lives. Will you be on the inside or the outside of that? Have you been swept up in who God is? Don't risk being swept away by the things that cannot possibly compare to him. Let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are as the God who is at the centre of it all. We praise you as the God who created us. We praise you as the God who is not distant from us, but has made a way for us to be with you. We praise you for your love, for your grace and for your mercy. This week, Lord, please help us to be mindful of those things that we try to replace you in our hearts with, that take the centre when they shouldn't. Please help us turn away from those things, Lord. Please help us to encourage one another and to point one another always towards the enormity of who you are as our God, that you belong at the centre, that you alone are worthy of our praise and our worship in our lives. Amen.